relationships, experiences, and memories. Like if you want to know what the purpose of life is, it can be summed up in those three words. If, if you ask me, like everything that we do is around that. And, you know, again, we, we invest so much in becoming better business owners, investors, like the financial side of things. But man, if we just kind of tap the brakes a little bit and realize that like within that realm right there, those relationships and experiences and memories, that's all that matters, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flow Over Fear podcast, where it is our mission to help you to rise above fear and realize your ultimate potential in leadership and life. I'm your host, Adam Hill, and it is my goal to share with you the human side of high performance. My guests share their experience with fear, anxiety, struggle, challenge, and most importantly, despite all of it, how they rose above it to achieve incredible results. So if you're ready to rise up, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flow Over Fear. I am glad that you're here. And if you know my next guest, you know that he is a person who is committed to serving uh, people around him, serving in, in his podcast, serving in, in speaking, just serving his fellow person in the talents that he has. And boy, does he have a lot of talents. Uh, his name is Mike Ayala, and he is an in investor, a speaker, a podcaster, and the founder of Investing for Freedom. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I really, really suggest that you do because you will learn a lot about how to develop lifestyle freedom, how to invest for freedom. It's a very powerful show and he interviews some great people. Mike helps busy professionals and business owners find true freedom to their uh, to live their best life. He's also the co-founder of Four Peaks Capital Partners, LLC, in which he is the chief people officer among other many titles in that organization. He also co-directs the overall investment strategy of that group, along with Andrew, Andrew Lenoy. Uh, Mike has over 22 years of experience in finding, uh, in finding freedom by building teams and streamlining operations. By the age of 24, Mike founded his first construction company and has been involved with over 2,000 projects, totaling over 1 billion with a B, including hospitals, courthouses, federal buildings, casinos, mills, all sorts of different construction project, projects. Of the companies he started, the most notable is that construction company that scaled quickly to more than 100 employees and, was, and sold at a valuation of over $12 million, making it onto the 2009 Inc. 2500 fastest growing companies in America list. That is quite a resume, Mike. Welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. So, so the, you host the show Investing for Freedom, and that's kind of your brand. And I know this is going to be a big question to start, but I want to start with like kind of the big ones, maybe break it down, um, because freedom means so much to different different people. And I just want to kind of get your perspective on what freedom means to you, and what are you trying to convey to people with that uh, with that brand? You know. I, I try to keep it pretty simple. And the reality is I think freedom is something different for everybody. And I think it just comes down to a choice. I mean, if you just look at America in general, I mean, you know, we're, I think we're the freest country that exists. And really what it started from was like, you know, freedom from taxes and tyranny and religion. And so it can be something, you know, completely different for anyone. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, it's up to us to decide what freedom looks like for us. For me, Honestly, it's just being able to, you know, if I don't feel like going to work today, I don't want to have to go to work today. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to go to lunch with Adam Hill, I want to go to lunch with Adam Hill. If I need to, you know, take a couple of days off because one of my kids is struggling, I want to be able to take a couple of days off. So, you know, I, I try not to overcomplicate it for me. It's just about, you know, owning my time. Yeah. And do you think that's more of a mindset issue or is it, is it, is it a, is it a limit, is a physical limitation that people might have because people might think that they're trapped in a job or, or in a, in a situation, but it sounds like you're talking about the freedom of choice. If you want to go to lunch or, you know, do whatever you want to do. Is it a mindset issue truly? Or what do you think about that? I think it is a mindset issue. Um, but also I think when people just slow down and reframe it, um, and really get clear on what it is they want. You know, so many times we have these conversations with like, well, what would freedom look like? And a lot of times it's not, you know, it's, it's not working for 40 or 50 years and having a certain amount of money in the bank. It's literally about a lifestyle that we want. And when you really sit down and talk through it, a lot of people aren't really that far away from, you know, what they actually would identify as freedom. I think, again, we just overcomplicate it because it just can't be that simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. What can you expand on that as far as how we overcomplicate it? Um, Cause I, I can absolutely relate to this, even, even in this first world society where, you know, we're, we're doing well and all of this kind of stuff, no matter how well we're doing, we always feel the sense that we might be, but might be trapped or we might be overcomplicating in what ways are we overcomplicating and how can we get out of that trap? You know, I, I think the, um, the, the word that's coming to my brain and I've been thinking about this the last few weeks is, you know, just really being a slave. And a lot of times, you know, we're slave, we're, we, we become a slave to a certain lifestyle or, or things or what we've created is, you know, like what we think that, you know, we, our life needs to look like when in reality, you know, none of those things bring us joy. What brings us joy is using those things, um, to, to get the time and the experiences and, and all of those things that we want. So it's not, it's not being able to afford going to Disneyland. It's being able to afford going to Disneyland with my family. And, mm. you know, it doesn't, I, I don't know. I just, again, at the end of the day, I think we really overcomplicate it, but I think what happens is we get on this perpetual hamster wheel that I think we've been programmed for many, many years. And when you go back to that mindset, I think the challenge is tearing down those beliefs. I mean, years and years and years of, you know, go to school, get a job, go to college. Your worth is found in X, Y, Z. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that are like, this is what my parents wanted me to be. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hear it from guests all the time. And there's four questions that I, you know, kind of always go through. And the reason why it, it, it's not that complicated, the, the questions are really simple, but it brings out so many things about the way we think and the mindsets and, you know, um, you know, what our parents instilled in us. And one of the things that I'll say just quickly is, Kara and I have always really been yes parents. We've always tried to be like, what are our kids interested in? Like, what do they want their life to look like? And, you know, I know no matter how great we parent, we're going to screw our kids up because it's just like the human sickness. But, But the reality is the more or the less, you know, expectations that I can put on my kids other than values, you know, these values conversations around, you know, be a good human. I used to tell my daughter all the time, like, just make somebody smile today. It wasn't like, Hey, you know, put your head down and make sure you bring home good grades. It was like, just make somebody smile today. So I think that's the real conversation that we need to be engaging in. But yeah, again, it's years and years and years of programmed belief, whether our parents put it on us, you know, whether our friends put it on us, whether it was the school system, I think we have to fight through that because, um, I kind of feel like we're zombies, like we're programmed to be slaves. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I love, and, and that's so fascinating because, you know, in, in saying that we're, we're always going to kind of screw up our kids in some ways, uh, 
that is that is almost like a freeing statement because it's so true. There's this ideal that we have, and I I fall victim to this all the time with my kids that you know I don't want them to uh, you know I don't want them to fall into traps or 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 I want to shelter them or I want this to happen and and notoriously they're going to get upset with me. They're going to get set, upset with my wife over something. And um, but uh, um, it almost gets to like that freedom means letting go of perfection in some way of this mm-hmm. ideal of perfection and just almost accepting some of those things and making it simple for our kids. Is that kind of sound, does that sound like it's an accurate statement or? Yeah. And it's, man, it's, you know, I mean, I, I love the name of the podcast flow over fear and I'll tell you what, no matter how right you think you are in the way that you parent and, you know, my kids <laughs> are 22, 20 and 19. Now Tim will be 21 um, here in a couple of weeks. Um, it doesn't, it's really easy to say that, you know, like, Hey, you know, college doesn't matter. And so, but you know, I used to up until a couple of years ago, I'd always say, well, the jury's still out. Cause I think we did a pretty good job, but the jury's out. Like we won't know, but they're really good humans. But man, that fear is always there. Like, are we screwing them up? And it doesn't matter how good of a job you do as a parent, that yeah. fear is always going to be there. But yeah, I think, um, you know, when we talk about being a yes parent, um, Kara actually says this all the time. Like God is a yes, God. Like when you, when you get clear on what you want in life, like the answer is always yes. We just have to figure out what's it going to take to get there. And this kind of goes back to the simplicity too around freedom and what do you want? Once you get really clear on what it is you want and you get your head down, I mean, how many times do we in GoBundance hear these stories? I saw a post today about it, a guy that's pretty new. I just saw it in the Facebook group and, and, you know, he set a certain goal and he's just freaking crushing it. Like he's already beat his 2023 goal and, and we're not even halfway through, you know, February. And so it, things are a yes when we get really clear on what it is. And so even back to parenting, it's like, we've always just tried to tell our kids like, yes, anytime we could say yes, it's, it's a yes. And you know where this kind of came from too, just a quick little story. I mean, I remember, um, and uh, by the way, the way we're parented and our limiting beliefs and the ideas that we bring with us, like we kind of, you know, bring those together and marry those two things between your husband and your wife. And then, you know, instill these either good things or challenges in your kids. But I remember, uh, you know, one weekend, uh, our daughter, Kate, had a sleepover on a Friday night. And, and then the next day, um, she said, Hey, can Kimmy or whoever stay over again? And my wife was like, no. And Kate, I'm just listening to this. And Kate's like, why not? And, and Kara says, well, because you already had a sleepover one night, like one night a week's enough. And, you know, we never like kind of debated in front of the kids, but I remember just asking her, pulling her aside and I'm like, Hey, are we doing something tonight? And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, why, why can't they have a sleepover? And, and she's like, well, because one night. And I'm like, well, okay, if you're going to tell the kids, like, we, we probably should make sure we're doing something if they, if it's an automatic no. And, you know, those are the kind of conversations that Karen and I always just kind of, we're really good at doing this in our businesses and mm-hmm. with our investments and, you know, with our employees, you know, with our business partners, like really kind of just having these engaging conversations about, you know, why not? How can we be better employees? How can we be better investors? You know, how can we, uh, you know, rally the troops and create, you know, good culture, but we're not very good at really challenging our core beliefs when it comes to parenting and, and, you know, marriage and, and just the way that we really believe in our most important unit, like mm-hmm. the most important, the reason why we do everything is these people that are at home and our inner circles, our friends, our relationships. I bring it down to something really simple. It's um, in my mind, it's REM, which I used to love the band REM. Oh yeah. Just <laughs> these three things, right? Relationships, experiences, and memories. Like if you want to know what the purpose of life is, it can be summed up in those three words. If, if you ask me like, 
everything that we do is around that. And, you know, again, we, we invest so much in becoming better business owners, investors, like the financial side of things. But man, if we just kind of tap the brakes a little bit and realize that like within that realm right there, those relationships and experiences and memories, that's all that matters, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's so huge. I love that. I love that REM as I'm a big fan of that band too. And you just yeah. reminded me that I need to go listen to some REM uh, later today. Cause uh, yeah, it's been a while. Um, but I, I want to kind of touch on this, uh, yes, parent idea is I know, uh, you and your wife, you, you do a couple's mastermind as well, which is, which is kind of cool. So you're very family oriented and, and I love this concept of the yes parent because it's such a departure away from what we tend to believe or our, 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 you know, as, as parents, as, you know, as, as we believe, you know, we want to protect our kids. I, I, you know, my, I, I remember when I was younger and I was thinking about tattoos or, or, or things like that. You know, my dad was like, hell no, you'll be cut off that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, nowadays, of course I have a tattoo and, you know, and, and I didn't, you know, and everything's okay now, but, but that was a different belief than what our parents' generation had. So how do we, how do we, I guess, discern what, what the appropriate yes is in that case. And, and know when we're, I guess when we're challenging that status quo and, and bringing uh, an opportunity for our kids to grow. You know, I think, I think just pausing and I think just shifting, because I would actually say that the majority of your audience and, and listeners are probably a default no when it comes to parenting. Because yeah. again, I don't think we're putting the time, I don't think we're putting enough energy and effort into um, really uh, debating in our own minds and maybe even as a couple, you know, like what are the values that we're trying to instill here? And so I think just pausing mm -hmm. and saying, you know, is this just my default? No, or is there an actual reason? You know, if it's obviously a safety thing or a values thing and, you know, the tattoo thing's a great, it's a great thing. So, um, I have a tattoo on my arm. It's an anatomical heart. Um, nice. my daughter asked me when she was 17, we were on a road trip and she said, Hey, can I get a tattoo? And we knew she, you know, she'd been talking about a tattoo for a year. No, when you're 18, you mm -hmm. can get a tattoo. Like I'm not anti-tattoo. I'm just right. like, you know, when you get to the point where, you know, you're, and there's nothing magic about, you know, being 18 or whatever, but we were even like in Colorado and they're like, you know, you need your parents' signature and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, you know, just, just wait until you're 18. And the minute she turned 18, she said, dad, you want to get a tattoo with me? And I said, sure. And I said, whatever yeah. you design, wherever you're going to put it, I'll put the same thing. So I got this anatomical heart. I think it's just really looking back at like, you know, what, and this is different for everybody, but like, what are these values decisions? There's actually a guy that I really admire, um, who's a very, very successful person. I won't mention their name, but I heard him say the other day, like, um, he was talking about like his kid and the way that his kid answers the phone and man, he was just being so legalistic about <laughs> this conversation. And I was just like, man, we're, we're all going to screw up our kids no matter what. But I'm telling you, when you hear these kind of conversations where we just expect perfection from our children, uh, it just, it really, it, it, it puts a spot in me. So I think that was a roundabout way to say this. I think you just have to like really measure everything that you're saying against your values. When do you say yes? When do you say no? Mm. Um, it's no different. Karen, and I have always said like, even in, in, in marriage, like it's just pick your battles. Most of the things that we argue and fight about don't matter. Most of the things that we tell our kids no for are just our default. No, get out of my way. I'm busy right now. It's those kind of conversations that generate mm. the majority of our default no's. And really, if we just paused and thought about it, it's probably we're saying no because it's an inconvenience to us or because it's just programmed in us or, 
Um, I don't even think most of it's around trauma or any of the other issues. It's just, I think we're lazy. I think we just yeah. are lazy parents and people. That's well, that's a good, that's a good point. Very honest because yeah, I, I know that I'm a default. No, I, I, I could see that in, in myself now. And, and you've given me a lot to think about and it's consistent with what I've heard a lot, you know, through interviewing other people on the show is just a lot of just, frankly, a lot of the decisions we should be making are, are consistent with our values. And that probably leads back to that idea of what freedom means. If we're free to live our values, you know, we're, we're aligned. If we're not living our values, we're probably in that slave zone. So we have to be really, really careful about that. And, um, and I want to go back a bit too, and, and learn a little bit about kind of where you, where you came, you know, how you came, uh, uh, came to be the mic that's here today. Um, because you're, you're very successful. You've done a lot of great things. I mean, you've built some successful, really, really great companies and, and you're serving the communities as well, which is, which is really important. How did, you know, how did that mindset shape in you that you wanted to build, you know, build businesses and, and what was that? How did, what did that look like when you were a kid? Cause I know you started really young. So, you know, I've, I've often said, and it took me a while to figure this out, but you know, I mean, obviously all of us being in GoBundance and the different communities we're in, we're always looking to leaders. We're always looking, mm -hmm. you know, for, for people that could mentor and inspire us. But I'm a firm believer that you can learn just as much from negative experiences as you can positive ones. And, you know, I, back to the parenting for a second, like I don't want to, I'm, I'm hoping that I can, you know, minimize the amount of negative experiences that I teach my kids. But my dad was, uh, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. He was in and out of our lives. He was abusive. Um, my kid, my childhood growing up was just very, um, empty. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what was happening from day to day. In fact, at the last abundance event, I really sat down and, and, uh, you know, just wrote down, uh, you know, a lot of the words that Pat Hyben did a, a really great, um, uh, I guess talk on, you know, just confronting some of these things in us. And so I sat down during that conversation, I wrote an entire page of words that I'd never really confronted before about the way that I felt when I was little. And it was words mm -hmm. like, you know, lonely and fear and, um, you know, um, concern and confusion. Like these are the, this was what I grew up in. Right. But, but through right. all that, I was really happy. And I think there's just this, um, you know, almost a grace that for whatever reason was on my life. Cause I always saw things, you know, even the negative experiences, I saw the positive in it. And so, you know, McDonald's, I remember my grandma taking me to McDonald's, like maybe every two months and, you know, the, the little Lego toy in the, in the happy meal was like a highlight of my life. I still to this day love Lego. Um, I, I so huge, honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a group of guys in GoBundance, by the way, that put Legos together. Like we put these complex Lego kits together, but really, yeah, it's, oh man, I got to join that. That's yeah, awesome. Totally. <laughs> it's like a stress thing. Right. But, um, you know, yeah. anyway, I grew up to make a long story short, I, I grew up in, you know, a pretty rough, um, childhood and didn't have a whole lot. And then when my mom finally decided to leave my dad, I went and lived with my grandparents for a little bit. And, and these experiences are what really shape us. Right. Like even to this day, my wife laughs at me because if we're not having like a steak and potato, like, you know, dinner where we all sit down and, and then by the way, I think it's made my family strong because we sat down and had dinner together almost every single night. But mm -hmm. to me, it's like, if, if it's not a production, then it's not really dinner. And recently we started talking through this and it's like, what is this? Well, I remember when my mom finally divorced my dad and I went and lived with my grandparents every single night my grandparents would sit down and we'd have dinner and it was almost like clockwork, same time it was steak and potatoes. And so these are the things that like really shape us. Right. And so mm -hmm. kind of growing up in that environment, um, 
you know, my mom was a gem through all this. Um, you know, she was just trying to survive too. And, um, once she finally left my dad, um, and you know, got her life together. She married my stepdad, who's an amazing human. He became my dad. Um, I have to be careful sometimes because when I'm talking about my dad, a lot of people don't even know that he's my stepdad. So, like, you know, oh, yeah. thinking that, um, you know, Tino, yeah. my stepdad is is this guy I'm talking about. But anyway, my mom, you know, she was going to college. She was working two jobs. Um, there was literally nights where I'd have a can of corn for dinner, you know, and it was like. Um, these are the kind of things that shape us. And so your question was like, what was that, you know, driving behind the success and the motivation? Well, I remember being in junior high and I started making suckers. I was selling suckers at school. I was making like 80 bucks a day. Um, I started cleaning a doctor's office on the weekend that my mom, you know, worked for. And so if I wanted to, I bought my first truck, you know, they financed it. I paid the payment. I bought my insurance. I bought my clothes. If I wanted to, if I wanted anything, it was like, you know, I had to earn it. And so I think it was just kind of that work ethic coupled with the fact that I saw what I didn't want to be. My dad was a great, great, great example of so many great things for me. And it kind of shaped everything that we did. I didn't want to be an absent father. I didn't want to be lazy. I didn't want to be without. If I want to take my kids to McDonald's and buy them Legos, I'm going to do it, darn it. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that's what kind of drove everything, including up to you know the time that we launched our business because I was working so much out of town, everything else. And Karen and I looked at each other and we're like, this isn't what we signed up for. So all those negative experiences coupled with the fact that Karen and I have always talked through our, you know, trauma and the issues that we've had and trying to make ourselves better. And, you know, we're always talking about vision and growth and desire and where do we want to be? I think it's all those things together. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. That, well, that's, and that there's an interesting dynamic there that I'm, I'm hearing because, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of trauma that, that a lot of people have experienced, you know, both successful and, and unsuccessful. And there's a lot of people that, kind of stay in that trauma. Not that, not that we ever forget it, but some people stay in it and and live there. And that becomes the definition of how their life is. And then they maybe perpetuate it. But you had a different approach, which was, you know, you you saw the grace, as you said, in in that. How how uh, uh, do you, is there anything that you see that might've been different that, sh that pushed you in a different direction than say, you know, kind of per can, continuing to perpetuate that? Or does that question make sense? Maybe I was rambling there a little bit. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I tend I think to. I, I'll answer it and then we'll, we'll see what we need to iterate on there. But I, sure. you know, I think, um, I think I've always just been kind of, and I don't know, maybe this is a gift and I, I hesitate to, cause I don't, I don't think it's always black and white, but you know, I've always been, um, pretty gracious with other people. I'm a very forgiving person. Um, in fact, sometimes to a detriment, you know, I've rehired technician sure. four times, like, Oh, I'm clean. I'm straight. Like, everything's good. And I'm like, okay, great. Come back to work. And then, you know, I mean, you just never, you never know, but like, um, you know, for me, like even my dad, I really thought I had a bunch of trauma. Like when I I'm fast forwarding here, but you know, I, I, I started going to church and Karen, and I started like, you know, um, getting close to being married and all this stuff. And I remember like, I remember hearing this father's day sermon and, and I, I like was waiting for myself to break. Right. Cause it was like, mm -hmm you know, God's a father and, you know, all of and some of you guys have had these broken, you know, relationships with your dad. And I was like, I thought I was like a wall, Adam. Like I was like waiting for myself to break. And then I remember, um, you know, Kara saying, Hey, I think you need to find your dad and deal with this. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm broken. And even up to like two years ago, I'm working with a coach that I still work with today. His name's Dr. John and we're doing the deep work. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, Dr. John, I need you to get in here and see if like I'm broken. Right. And so to answer your question, I think like I'm just a very forgiving person. And I think 
I think we all go through this process different. And so the reason why I said all that in answer to your question is like, I think we have to be really careful how we, you know, expect other people to deal with their trauma too, because we're all at different levels. But for me, it's kind of like hit it head on deal with what it is and then tell as many people as possible because to me that's healing. If I can, if I can like, and this is probably a horrible analogy, but it's the opposite of like a wound healing. Like I feel like you need to rip the scab off and, and just deal with it. Right. And that's what I love about GoBundance too. The reason why I joined GoBundance is because I had realized, so this was 2018 and I had realized that, you know, through some of my trauma, like I was really, Karen, I got married early. I didn't go to college. I didn't have the, my, my great friends from high school were all my drug buddies, which I kind of left that life, not kind of, I left that life behind. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> and, and so, you know, I woke up in like 2018, like literally realizing that all of the relationships, the deep, true, authentic relationships outside of my close family and my kids were women, my grandma, my mom, Kara. And I mean, even those, I didn't have a lot. And so I like literally went looking for some deep, authentic, like I wanted, I went on a mission, Adam to like connect with men. I'm like, I need some men in my life and I need some guys that are going to hold me accountable. I need some warriors. I found GoBundance. And literally I remember sitting in a group with Dirk Hoyman or Dirk Van Rienen. And I remember giving my go talk and and it was the first time publicly that I ever shared about my dad. And it was Hmm. so healing for, and dude, this was like four years ago. Right. So this isn't like, this isn't like 18 years ago is the first time that I publicly shared about my dad outside of like, you know, an intimate circle. And, and I remember my voice was like cracky and Dirk's like, Mike, are you nervous? I'm like, bro, I'm about to share something that I've never shared before. And I set a goal of one authentic relationship per quarter. I said, I'm going to find one go bro. And I'm going to go deep with him. And dude, you fast forward. And it's like, I have hundreds of amazing guys that just support me and surround me. And so that's what I said, rip the bandaid off deal with whatever it is and just hit it head on. We're so scared of, you know, not only that hurt coming back up and dealing with it, but also like, what's it going to manifest? And am I going to, you know, in turn, am I a monster? I think we're scared that, you know, whatever happened to us, I'm going to be that same person. And it's like the shame and all the things that we deal with. And I'm telling you, just hit it head on, make sure you're surrounded in a community that loves you and figure it out. And that second part's really important because when people try to deal with this stuff on their own, that's when we go down these dark holes where, you know, because pulling those, pulling that scab off, man, it's going to open some stuff up that you really need to deal with. And so make sure that you have either professional help or a community of people that, you know, understand you and will support you. And I, I'm not going to speak for you, but if anybody needs help, I mean, just reach out because this stuff's tough, man. But when you really start dealing with it and you're surrounded, you know, with a community of men or women or whatever it is for you, that's what really matters. Hey, everyone, if you're listening to this show and you want to rise above fear and achieve greater flow in your life, which, of course, translates into better results in business, better health, a more fulfilling lifestyle and much, much more. And who doesn't, right? Well, then schedule your free strategy call with me today. Simply go to www.adamcliffordhill.com coaching and click on the link to start your journey to your high flow life. That's so huge. I, yeah, I love that because the, the community aspect is, is it, that's just one of the biggest sources of healing ever. I mean, for me in particular, coming from an alcoholic background, you know, I, I, I had all of this fear, all of this anxiety, and I've, ta- I've shared this a number of times before, but, you know, the fear, everything about that, everything with growing up with anxiety and all of this intense fear and these panic attacks made me feel like I was alone. I felt like I was crazy. I felt like nobody would understand this. 
and that there and there was just no conversation about it. But the second that I joined a community, and the second you get authentic with that community and you could trust them, it's there's just this huge, huge uh, healing process that begins to occur, and all of that just lifts off. It's you know it's kind of like that you know where where two or more of us are gathered, you know there there he is in our presence, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's I, I so I, I I'm so glad you you shared that. And you're sure you're willing to share that experience. And um, I know that, you know, life hasn't clearly life hasn't always been kind of the the uh, upward linear progression for you. You, you mentioned you had some uh, uh, some drug friends and and kind of got into that scene a little bit. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how that kind of how you got into that and and how you got out of it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh I started drinking alcohol in eighth grade. And I think these are those things that a lot of people don't understand. You know, we, we talk about alcoholism and, and, you know, so many people think that it's genetic and it's passed on. And I'm not saying that it is or isn't, I'm not here to be a health guy or a scientist or anything else. But what I do know for sure is that the patterns and the things that we're raised up in, I mean, you can, you can actually see that, right? So, um, I do think it's genetic and I think some of those issues follow us, but just like the Bible says, the sins of the forefather visit the third and fourth generation. And so it's these mindsets and patterns and belief. And I think it is in our DNA. I think it's, um, I think it's something we have to watch out for. So anyway, I started drinking in eighth grade. Um, you know, my parents always said, Hey, you're traveling around with the wrong group of kids. And I always kind of laughed to myself and I never said this out loud, but I was like the instigator and my parents thought it was all my friends. Right. And, um, Mm -hmm freshman year started doing drugs. And then, you know, I mentioned this, but I was always a hard worker. I mean, even doing drugs and everything else, I always showed up to work. I I didn't call in. I didn't miss work. Some of my earliest mentors were my bosses. uh, at My my first actual job was at Denny's. And I mean, I started smoking weed with the manager and I was hanging out with adults. And so you fast forward my junior year, I was working um, finals. And this is the other crazy thing. I always kept my grades up while working, while partying. Um, I was just that guy that could kind of juggle a lot of things. And, um, at this point in time, I'd been promoted to a cook. I was working on the cook's line with this guy. I won't say his name. Um, and you know, he's like, Hey Mike, you're kind of dragging butt, man. Like what's, what's going on? Like, this isn't you. And I'm like, man, I'm tired. It's finals. I'm trying to, you know, graduate and, or maybe it was midterm. I don't remember. And he hands me this little piece of paper and it was meth. It was methamphetamines. And that just kind of like, started my journey as a junior in high school. I mean, that whole summer we were just kind of off the deep end when senior year started, we kind of shaped back up. But then anyway, I, I went off the deep end for a bit and you know, it took going to jail, getting arrested, sitting in jail. And and at this point in time, so my wife and I dated in high school, but when I started, you know, going South, she, she went her way. And then while I was in jail, she wrote me a letter. And I think this is kind of important um, because this is where this kind of goes back to what we were saying before too about community and, and, you know, being surrounded. She wrote me a a letter when I was in jail and she said, Hey, you know, I've, I didn't, I didn't, I never went to church. I, I wasn't, I wasn't around God. Nobody told me about God. Um, you know, and she said, Hey, I, I, I committed my life to God and I've been going to church and she brought me a Bible and I start like reading my Bible in jail. It's almost like I was set up, man. I'm like, what the heck's going on? (laughs) Um, so I get out of jail and, and you know what she said to me though, in, in a letter that she wrote me, she said, Hey, my parents said that if you need anything, when you get out, they're here for you. And I was like, Adam, if you knew the way that I treated this girl in high school and like her parents were pretty straight edge. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing that they're like, even, you know, that like they were showing me the love of God at that point in time. And I just didn't even see it yet. 
uh, I got out of, I got out of jail and, and started going to church and really just kind of cleaned up my life. And this is the point that I wanted to make. I've said this so many times and, you know, with your background and my background, you can't help an addict or anybody for that matter um, until they're ready. But when they're ready, yes. when they're ready, they need a community. And that's the thing that I've hung on to for so long because my parents had a restraining order on me. I literally had stolen. I mean, I couldn't even see my family because I was such a bad person. And when you're in that spot, it's about everybody else. Right. But when I, realized that like I had ruined every back to relationships, experiences and memories. I had, I had ruined everything that I had in my life. And when I really looked in the mirror and said, you know what, this is me. And I was ready. There was a community of people that could see that I was ready. And the only one that can't see when you're not ready is you. But the minute that you are ready, we need to make sure that we're, you know, in a place where we're surrounding people. And so, you know, if anybody's listening, whether it's your kids or a relationship or whatever, until somebody's ready for help, and this is even back to just yes parenting, it doesn't have to be drugs, until they're ready to hear it. Yeah. We just have to be careful about the way that, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching. And, and I've just carried those lessons. Again, you don't need to be a meth addict. We don't need to be off the deep end and sitting in jail to get the lesson of like, until somebody's ready to learn the lesson, you can't beat it into them. And and that's kind of what I've carried through, whether it's, you know, me and my wife, we don't argue that much because it's just like most of this stuff doesn't matter. Mm. Wow. That's, that's, well, I appreciate you sharing that because that's really, really powerful. One of the things that I, one of the things that I, I got from that too, is that you shared earlier that, you know, you grew up with a lot of grace and you grew up with this forgiving nature. And then you almost, as you're sitting in jail too, you, you, you receive that forgiveness from this woman that would eventually become your wife and, and her family. And that's kind of a powerful circle uh, God moment there. Um, but yeah, the, the whole idea that of, of making sure that willingness that somebody has to be ready, somebody has to, to be prepared to, to take that next step. That's huge, but it's not always easy as someone, as, as a loved one to watch the suffering or watch the, the poor decisions or whatever it may be. And then, you know, not be able to, in, well, you can influence it, but not, not uh, force it on somebody. Right. Yeah. Well, in so many That's times, yeah, again, whether it's, you know, even with employees, like we hear this all the time, right? Because in GoBundance, I mean, we haven't even talked much about business or investing, but um, <laughs> which I don't, maybe we don't even need to, but in, you know, so many times you hear people that are like running businesses and they're like, the, the thing that they're, I can basically hear Jesus in their voice. They're like, how long must I dwell with you? You know, so many people are like, I can't get my employees to understand this. I can't get my kids to understand this. I can't get my wife to understand this. Like we're coming at it from the wrong perspective, right? Like when we know the answer, like her parents knew the answer, my parents knew the answer, but until I'm ready to hear it, there's nothing we can do. And so we, the lesson for me is just like, we have to learn to be so paid so many people. And I love the way that you kind of flipped that. There were so many people that were gracious and loving and caring and patient and ready for me, ready to help me when I was ready. And that's just what we need to be, whether it's, you know, our, again, employees or our kids or whatever is just like, they have to get the lesson on their own time. We can't beat it into them. Right. 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 Yeah. That's uh that's, that's been my experience as well across, across the board, as far as trying, whether it be my kids or employees or anything like that on, 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 on large scale. And, um, it's difficult and yeah, that patience is not easy, but, uh, but you're absolutely right. And, um, as far as that relates to, uh, to business. So what time period did that happen for you? Were you in jail? Did you come out of jail? Um, I was 18. So I was pretty, 18. it was pretty early. 
Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, so you'd already kind of been working and, and, and then after that, you, uh, you, you know, got into kind of the entrepreneurial spirit you started building things. It sounds like. So can you talk about how you learned some of that, some of the, maybe some of the failures, some of the lessons that you might've, that you learned early on that, that you might've, that you might share with yourself now that like, well, if I, if I had it to do over again, um, what would you do differently? You know, gosh, I'm, there's probably a million lessons that I could share that, you know, what would I do differently? But when I look backwards and Steve Jobs said this, it's, you know, a lot easier to connect the dots when you're looking backwards. Right. Um, the whole reason that I even started my business, like I didn't want to be a business owner. That was not like, I never, I never consciously said, you know, there's so many guys in GoBundance that are like, they're in the W2 exit micro tribe, right? We're leaving our jobs. We're, I wasn't that guy. And I remember speaking to Ascend with Jamie Gruber and one of the guys asked me, they're like, Hey, what did the process look like for you quitting your job? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. literally I woke up one day and I'm like, this is not the life I signed up for. And I quit. So I'm like, I'm probably like the worst. Um, I was so young. And so I was 24 years old when we started our first business, I was working out of town. Like Kara was pregnant with our third kid by then. I mean, we got married and started having kids. Dylan was literally born yeah. uh, a, a year and a week after we got married. And so Kara's pregnant with our third child, Keaton. Um, I'm 23 years old. Um, I'm working out of town, like literally seven days a week missing. And I was like, this is not what Kara and I had designed or dreamed of, of being a present dad, being a present husband, like weekends together. This was nothing that we had signed up for. And I, I literally, Adam said, Karen and I were having some conversations and, you know, if you pay attention, um, and we don't overcomplicate it, life will kind of like open up the pathways for you. Um, Mm -hmm. my boss that I was working for at that point in time, he tried to sell the company to five of us. So we were having this conversation with five of us that were going to buy the company. And it was like already just kind of like, you know, five owners. I've always said anything with two heads is a monster, but anything with five is like this whole other thing. Um, so, you know, we knew that the writing was on the wall. The time was limited. If we didn't buy into this company, what was going to happen? And I remember leaving a breakfast meeting with the five of us that were going to buy that company and me and my business partner, I remember sitting at a red light and he said, what do you think? I said, I think we should just leave and start our own business. Not even Mm -hmm. really thinking much about it. Like he had like 75,000 in his 401k. I had a little tiny bit of money saved up and we left and started a company in 2004 without really thinking about it much. And we got our license and launched in July of 2020, uh, 2004. And, um, by the end of that year, we had like 19 employees and we're doing a million dollars in revenue. And it was just, you know, I think, I don't want to say I was lucky, but from the get go, and this is the one thing that I think we did right. Your question was what, you know, what, what were some of the lessons that you learned or wished I would have done better? I actually think we did a lot of things right because I was so young and I was so naive. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was a plumber. I didn't know anything about sales, marketing, business, um, any of that. And so at every stage, I've just always hired good consultants. I've always hired good mentors. Um, I, I, I found the best uh, coaching company that I could find in the country, like top two and paid them for like seven years to coach me. And I was the dumb kid in the corner. I just did exactly what they told me to do. And guess what? It works. And I think sometimes as we get older and, and we have a lot at risk, we tend to, you know, kind of measure everything based off of what we have to lose. 
I didn't have anything to lose, Adam. I literally remember sitting down with Kara and saying, well, what's the worst case scenario? We quit this job we're working and we fail and I have to go back to work for the company that I'm working for now. I'm already living my worst case scenario. So Mm -hmm. I think the fact that we were so young and just didn't have anything to lose was really just what kind of catapulted us. And, And then the fact that, you know, we just, I mean, we were so naive and green that we just, I was grasping for information, learning. I was just absorbing every chance I got. I was talking to a mentor or reading a book or whatever. That was my college, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That that's the biggest investment you can make at that at that time. And that's just from you know somebody who from somebody who went to college. The most that I would have learned was way after in the experiences, and you learned it right in the trenches. And um, and and yeah, I think that that there's so many different stories that I've heard about people who have you know, left the W2 world and entered into the business owner world. And, you know, a lot of times it's, well, I waited till I had this much runway. I waited till I had this much revenue from business B and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a, this is a great uh, example of kind of that leap of faith, you know, where you're just like, you know, well, this isn't the life I want. And what was it just a belief in yourself? Like, did you have this? I know you mentioned that you, uh, um, you didn't have anything to lose, but there had to be some like real belief in what you could achieve on your own. Is that, did that come into play? You know, I think, I think the life that I grew up with too, as a, as a young guy and, you know, working at such an early age, um, being surrounded by adults. Um, I think I was, I think I grew up fast. Um, and I think that's part of it too. You know, um, just, I didn't have a lot of fear. Um, I'll figure it out. My dad used to say this all the time, my stepdad, um, he used to say, if man built it, I can figure it out. And I think there's kind of a, you know, if somebody else can do it and just give me the roadmap, um, I can figure it out too. Like, and I, I, again, this is really, really simple. We started talking about just like the freedom formula, right? I don't think it's that complicated. Right. And I think it's just that too. It's like, you know, if somebody did it before me and I can just unpack how they did it, I can figure anything out. It's getting past the fear and the security. And by the way, hmm. Security and risk are at odds of each other. Security and freedom are also at odds of each other. And I think that that's the thing that I've been having this conversation so many times lately with different people. It's like, you can't have security and freedom. I mean, they don't, I, 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 feel, I feel like they're at odds with each other. And so many yeah. of us are looking for security. I remember Robert Kiyosaki saying that the scariest thing that he could do is wake up January 1 and know what he was going to make by the end of the year, Right. And, and, you know, like when you look at security, I mean, when I was sitting in jail, that's security, uh, three, three square meals, like a roof over your head, like that's security. I'm, I'm looking for life on my terms. And, and again, I don't think it's that complicated. If I really want to do, if I get clear on what it is I want, and then I go find somebody who's already doing it, whether it's information, whether it's a coach, whether it's a consultant, whether it's just a mentor, just unpack what they did and just do it. Yeah. That's huge. That's great advice because I mean, uh, as long as you can be a good, I, I guess a good rule follower or, or framework follower, if there's a framework that you are, are good at following and it sounds like knowing your talents was an important part of that, uh, being able to unpack what other people had, di- had done, following the mentor's advice. And, uh, and again, it comes back to what you've already said, which is community. You know, you found that community of mentors or, or, or teachers or things that, 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 that would have helped you. And there's a, there is a, certainly an element of, of humility in that. And so you evolved that business really quickly. Uh, you know, the first year you were already into seven figures, sounds like. 
how did that continue to evolve? Did you, um, was it, was it pretty much like, Oh, now it's just, it, it's going gangbusters for, you know, from then to now, or is, was there any kind of, um, moments where you, where you had additional fear or insecurity that, that you experienced? Yes. Up until yesterday. Um, today, until yesterday. Scary, but, um, you know, it, it never <laughs> ends, right. Unless we, unless again, we get comfortable and stop taking risks and there was plenty of scary yeah. times. I mean, 2000, uh, 2007, we had a gold mine shut down, owed us like $400,000. We're heading into 08. That was a lot of money for me back then. It was the first time that I had to bring a mentor in and sit with my controller for two days and figure out how we're going to, you know, deal with all this debt. And I had to look 35 employees in the eye right before Christmas and lay them off. And, mm. you know, you spend yeah. all this time, like trying to build these amazing teams and people. And we spend all this, you know, money on training and, and try to build just an amazing culture. And then, you know, wake up a year and a half later and look everybody in the eye and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I, I know it's Christmas, but not only are you not getting a Christmas bonus, you're getting laid off. And then, you know, try to like literally you're in survival mode for saving your business. I mean, that's happened to me a couple of times and anybody, anybody that goes into business, um, you know, you're going to deal with these ups and downs and it's, um, you know, every time you just try to get a little bit stronger and, and learn the lessons and, and move on. So I've been through several of those, but you know, I think the good thing, and, and this is kind of, you know, part of the theme that we were, you know, really chatting about today, you know, as we, as we gain mentors and consultants and, and we grow through these experiences, I mean, it, it kind of prepares you for the next level. And I think that's the thing that people need to understand. It doesn't get easier. And I say this often, like life, business, all, all the challenges that come at us, they don't get easier. Um, hopefully we get stronger. And I think that's what really separates, you know, the people that keep going and keep moving um, from those that don't, it's just every single time, you know, you put another notch in the belt and you just learn the experiences and, and you just, you just got to get better every time, but it's definitely not easy. And that goes back to what we were talking about with community and support and authenticity. And, you know, that's why we're such fans of GoBundance because we get to be raw and real, man. And it's hard. This stuff's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really isn't. And I mean, especially the part where we feel like we're hurting other people. I mean, you know, when, when we're building those teams, as you were saying, and, and then we have to face those challenging outcomes, but for the, but for the whole of the good, you know, we have to make a few difficult decisions, but I love that part where, you know, you say that even though it's not easier, we get, we can get stronger. And that's an important part. I think, I hope that all of the listeners will take to heart because if we're not leaning into the hard things, then we're not growing and nothing will ever. And, and what we think, what we think is easy now is, is just going to become harder later, <laughs> So we have to lean into the hard things and, and become better. So if, if you could like give any kind of lessons for, you know, maybe getting over fear, rising above fear, having a new relationship with that, what, what would that be? You know, I'll touch on fear, but we've, we've kind of talked about this through the episode too, with grace and forgiveness. And, you know, just even like what you were just touching on, um, we have to learn to be grace, graceful or gracious give ourselves grace. We have to learn to forgive ourselves too. And, you know, even when we were talking about like what I went through in 08 and had to lay employees off, it, it's probably not the last, it was definitely not the last time that we had to deal with that mm -hmm. and probably not the last time. And so, you know, you just have to understand that, um, you know, we do the best we can and, and, and we're, it's, it's easy for us to, well, maybe not easy, but I try to forgive others, but, you know, having that same grace on ourselves is important. And when we talk about fear, it's those lessons too. 
sometimes, I mean, even right now, I, I feel like I'm in a season where, you know, we're getting ready to scale and really grow some things. And I've made a lot of mistakes, man. And, and every time we put the opposite notch in our belt where, you know, we've, we've been scared or, or we've made mistakes or we don't want to go into hiring mode again, because I remember what happened in 08. And I remember what happened in 2016. And I remember what happened in 2020. When we get fear uh, around those you know, previous experiences, like sometimes it'll paralyze us. And, and we just have to learn that it doesn't matter, you know, how many times we go through challenges, your business is going to scale up and your business is probably going to have to scale down at periods of time. It's no different than, you know, ups and down in life. And we just have to understand that. And so I think pressing through that fear is extremely important because it, we could shrink back and just sit on the couch and never do anything. But I don't think that's the life we're looking for. And even like we started the show on freedom, getting really clear on what your goals are. I'm pretty sure that they're not associated, you know, with some things that are not scary, that are not overwhelming, that there isn't some fear on the other side of it. And one of my mentors early on, uh, I was actually a pastor in one of the churches that I went to a long time ago. You know, he always said, if you're going through hell, don't stop. You got to keep going. Yeah. And that's the thing when it comes to fear, we're all experienced. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not scared about something that we have going on. And, and we can either be overwhelmed and overcome by that fear, or we can take it for what it is. I'm in new territory. I'm doing things I've never done before. Um, I, I've surrounded myself with people that, are good. I heard Norman Schwarzkopf say this one time, like, if you've built the right team around you, you're, you're going to make mistakes, but you got to know that as long as you're surrounded by the right, right team, you'll take those mistakes, you'll work through it and you'll turn it out for good. So, you know, if you're experiencing fear, maybe you're in the right spot and you just learn, need to learn how to like, kind of, you know, move through that and keep going. So if you're, if you're going through hell, don't stop, just keep going. If you're experiencing fear, maybe you're in the right spot. I love that perspective. It just shines that light on, on the reframe of fear that we want to present here, which really brings you into flow and kind of leads to the, to one of the last questions I would have for you, which is what, what does flow mean to you? I know that that's, you know, kind of also a big word like freedom, but what does it mean to you? You know, for me, um, and I can tell when I'm in flow and I can tell when, when I'm overwhelmed, um, you know, I've, I've kind of, I, I think this is really one of my superpowers. I'm, I'm not good at a lot of things. Um, and I don't think many of us are. And, you know, we go through seasons where we're growing and maybe you don't have enough money in your business or, or resources, or, you know, maybe you're stuck in a W2 job or wherever you're at and you feel like you're not in flow. I think what we really got to do is tap into like, what are our true, you know, what are the one, two, three things that only Mike, only Adam, only the listeners are really, really good at and try to offload the other things. Because what I've found is it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times I try to compensate for my weaknesses. If I'm spending 70% of time 80% of my time in areas that I'm not strong, it's going to be really hard for me to get into that flow state that you're looking for. And so for me, um, you know, flow state is just getting really connected with, with the things that I'm really good at and, and trying to stay in that arena. I feel that's the fastest and best way for me to tap into flow. And by the way, if I'm like, you know, if I'm trying to do ad, ad like administrative, I'm a visionary at, at my core. I'm not even great really at operations and, and, and getting in the weeds on teams. If I'm trying to do that, there's no way I'm getting into flow state. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think the fastest way to get into that is find out what your giftings really are. Find out what you're gifted at and then keep leaning into that as much as possible. That's a, that's great. I love that advice. 
And, uh, and so your, 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 you know, your companies, you have investing for freedom. You also have velocity ventures or venture partners. Can you talk a little bit about the, that, that piece of it and what you're, what you're doing there? Yeah. So I finally, I realized a couple of years ago, um, with velocity venture partners, um, and I think your audience will recognize this, there's seasons in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that first 10 years, so I started the company in 04, I sold it in 2014. And I've often said that was the best and worst day of my life because, you know, I had to kind of go recreate myself and figure out what was next. And then I went on this journey with Andrew and we built out a mobile home park portfolio. And, you know, I woke up in 2018, 2019, realizing, you know, there's a day coming where I'm going to exit the product again. And I just started really realizing, Adam, that, and this is where Investing for Freedom and Velocity Venture Partners was born. I started realizing you know, the industry or the product or the business that I'm in isn't what defines me. And I'm going to probably be in different seasons. And those seasons, if we're doing it right, probably should start to collapse. The time frame should start collapsing. And, and so what I realized is I needed to build out Velocity Venture Partners in a small team of partners where, you know, we're basically a small private equity group. Um, we can get involved in different verticals rather than every time we go into construction industry, we go into mobile home park industry, we go into, you know, HVAC companies, whatever it is, I don't have to reinvent myself every time I've got my private equity group, even if I team up with other groups, we can do joint ventures. Um, And so that's what Velocity Venture Partners is. It's just my, it's my private equity group that I plan on uh, utilizing for the rest of, you know, probably my career to get involved in whatever industries and wild hairs we come up with. That's so great. That's so great. Well, congratulations on you're, you're scaling and you're, you're diversifying on that, on that front. And let me ask, uh, and, and so people, if, uh, the list to the listeners out there, if you're interested in, in that, in his private, in the, in Mike's private equity firm, it's velocityventurepartners.com. So check that out. And, you know, if I may ask, cause you mentioned, uh, uh, mobile home parks was kind of your, your jam for a while. So what, what, what led you to that? I have to go way back to 2005. I was working with a consulting company and I was at an annual planning event and my head coach was actually speaking and he said, if your business isn't helping you achieve your uh, personal goals, you just own a job. And so then we started, my wife and I set this goal of two income producing properties a year. We bought two single families and then a mobile home park deal fell in my lap. I bought the first one and uh, you know, I, I, I did a lot of different uh, real estate investing. We ended up buying 45 single families, five mobile home parks. We had three commercial buildings that we had bought by the time we exited the company. And honestly, of all the asset classes, um, I just really like that asset class because it's affordable housing. Uh, there's not enough, you know, inventory. Uh, the demand for affordable housing is always there. I learned how to manage it just by rolling up my sleeves. And so, um, that's kind of how we got started. And I've just always loved it. Um, we, we got to 35 communities. We've sold a bunch of them. We're down to 19 now. And um, I'll probably always be involved in the space somehow because I, I just, it's it's a great asset. It's it's a great way to give back. I actually lived in a mobile home park growing up. I lived in a one bedroom, hmm. one bath with five of us. And um, so I'm kind of wow. partial to the mobile home parks, if uh, <laughs> if I could say. Yeah, well, that that experience, it, it probably made you a better, not not just a better uh, investor in, in that space, but also probably a better uh, servant to the people that you were housing, which is, which is incredible. So, uh, um, so I'm glad you were able to, to do that work and, and, and really help serve people on that front. Um, and, you know, before we, 
jump off here. I know you'd mentioned some, you, you dropped a lot of great gold nuggets here regarding, you know, like when, if you're, if you're just starting out, lean into community, you know, and, and, uh, and a lot of family advice there, you know, uh, uh, all of these things. Is there any parting advice that you would have for anyone just starting out that, that maybe just maybe thinking about a change in their life, maybe thinking that they're afraid to make this change. What, what would be your advice to that person on that, you know, on that, on that front? I'll, I'll sum this up quickly, but I would say, first off, sit down and write out what your values actually are, because Mm -hmm. if you're not clear on what those North stars are, then, uh, you know, you could, you could end up way out in left field. And I think that's important. So I would say, sit down, write out your values. Number two, get really clear on, you know, and I would say, I would say this through a lens of life design. What do you really want your life to look like? Um, you know, whether it's one year out, three years out, five years out, I wouldn't get too much further past that, but what, what do you want life to really look like? And, and to me, that's in terms of, you know, how much time do I want to be working? Who do I want to be spending my time with? Where do I want that time to be? And then, then I would say, okay, well, what, what can get me there? Because at, at the beginning of all of this, like, I think you have to really design your values and the life that you want. And then try to find the vehicle to get you there. I think sometimes we do it backwards. Um, you know, what kind of business am I going to start? What kind of investing am I going to do? But really, like my mentor said in 2005, if your business or investing isn't helping you achieve your personal goals, you just own a job. And the last thing that any one of us want is to give up one form of prison for another. So just get really clear on what you want your life to look like. And then I'm pretty sure you'll find the path, though, you know, along the way as mentors, consultants, guidance, just ask for a lot of help and you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was, that's, that's really, really great advice. Really clear, really concise. And I, I've been so, so privileged to actually be able to share this time with you, Mike, and and I've learned a lot and I know the listeners have too. Um, and, and please, if you haven't already listeners, please check out the investing for freedom podcast. It is incredible. Mike also has, uh, his own, uh, his own groups of, of, of people. He's a coach. So, um, yeah, so please check him out there. Check out his podcast. Mike, where else can people find you? Pretty active on Instagram at the Mike Ayala. Um, but I, I think you've nailed it, the rest of it. So awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Mike. I'm, I'm very grateful and everyone else out there. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flow Over Fear podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. I will be so grateful if you do. And I'll look forward to bringing you more value in our next episode. I'll see you then.